Hey everyone, it's Jem. Welcome to episode 13 of the I'm Still Standing podcast. This is the second last episode before our sabbatical, where we will be interviewing at least 10 more women who are still standing. If you have a testimony that needs to be shared, or if you know someone that does, please submit your story at imstillstandingseries.com. In this episode, guest Karen Grant shares her story of migrating from Jamaica to Canada to live with her father. Reality hit not much longer after her arrival in Canada, when her father began to sexually abuse her on a regular basis, as well as isolate her from her family. The process of healing has been incredibly difficult for Karen, as it would be for anyone, but now she's living her best life, the life God intended for her. Do you mind talking, like, starting with your migration story? Oh, definitely. Um, I came to Canada when I was 11. Um, came to live with my dad. I had probably met my dad once before mm-hmm. in Jamaica. Um, and the reason for coming to Canada was simply it was easier. I was already on his um, papers. Oh, okay. My mom had moved to the States. And so um, a decision was made within the family mm-hmm. that go live with your dad and at a later date you'd move in with your mom. Oh, okay. And so that's how that came about when mm-hmm. you come in here. Um, although didn't work out as planned. So I was very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the, anticipated that I was going to meet up with my mom oh, at okay. some point, mm-hmm. right? So um, I, well, I was well informed of you coming to, to live with your dad. And I was very excited about that. So mm-hmm. there was no kind of hesitation on my part okay. and and the family was all excited about it okay and yeah. it's always a big deal when someone gets through that's it to go to the, the states or canada right that's it. a huge thing that's it. a lot of expectations i'm sure your family had tons of expectations for you oh for sure oh, for sure yeah there, there are those expectations you know there's mm-hmm. you know make sure that you're respectful make sure that you keep your grades up and mm-hmm. um and make sure that you keep out of trouble. You know, the regular thing that we tell our kids here, right? Um, nothing out of the ordinary. You know, once I got here, maybe for the first couple months, I was still in contact with my mom. Okay. And then that slowly died off, mm-hmm. right? And then that's where things changed for the worse. Okay. And you, um, you were 11. What grade? So grade, grade like six. six. Okay. Grade six. I was young. Yeah, I was young. I was young. Very naive. Yes, yeah. you're a little, you're a little girl. That's it, right? Yes. So, how did things change once you came to Canada? Um. So when I came here, I had a younger sister, mm-hmm. um, who was about six years younger than me, mm-hmm. um, and so, um, and I came and I lived with my dad and his wife, mm-hmm. and the f- I want I want to say the first six months were wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did things together. The home was loving. My stepmom accepted me. She embraced mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't feel like I didn't belong. Okay. Um, but then there was a shift. And I'm not sure how it happened. Um, but I know there was a shift. Mm-hmm. And my first recollection of that shift is being in my bedroom one night and my dad coming in. Wow. Yes. And so... Um, when he came in, um, he started the, you know, the conversations. And 
remember if I could go back a little leading up to that what I know now yeah. what I didn't know then was he was already grooming me a certain way he was already See. manipulating me which I didn't know mm -hmm. um, he was already working me if I could use that term in the sense of getting me to be totally broke down whereas I would do anything he said yeah I remember him coming into my room that night and um, uh, molesting me um, I don't remember the full details of that particular night mm -hmm. um, but um, I know that's when the first time that there was molestation took place mm -hmm. was in my bedroom mm. um, and then um, episodes after would happen you know there would be times in the car um, but most of it was at home mm. um, and there would be times where it's at home like I said at night people are in the house yeah so it wasn't like you know it was just us in the house people are in the house um, do you think they were aware at all I think I believe there came a point later on mm -hmm. where my stepmom was aware in the beginning she wasn't okay um and if i could also say that her ability to protect me mm -hmm. um she wasn't able to and i know that now mm -hmm. because she herself was living the life of a battered spouse mm -hmm. right yeah. and so um, there was those dynamics going on right yeah wow so how long did this go on for um, I left home when I was 17, so I would say from 11 and a half, 12 to around 17. And how that happened, it was, um, I went to school one day and, uh, having a conversation with a friend mm -hmm. and it just came out. I wasn't planning mm -hmm. to say it. Mm -hmm. It came out and she thought, we're going to the office. We're telling someone. The next Great thing God. I knew there was police and... Mm -hmm. It just snowballed from there, okay. right? Um, and before that, were you thinking, oh, yeah, you know, how can I tell someone? And Definitely. I, I remember reaching out to family members at times. Before and, this? Before this oh, and telling them. And the consequence for that was that they would go back and tell him just oh, to get gosh. clarity. And then the backlash, right? It was either physical abuse and sexual abuse after. So... What that taught me as a child was keep your mouth shut. <laughs> if you want to live, right? If if you're gonna survive this, you've got to figure it out on your own. That's right. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That yeah. you go back to the person you're saying is abusing. And that's and... that's that's one of the things that a lot of people don't recognize mm -hmm. that with kids, kids learn from adults based on your reaction mm -hmm. and how you teach kids to to behave and react and what to do. It's easy for us to say. Um, tell, tell an adult. If something happens to you, go to an adult. But a kid will always test you first. Of course. They'll test how true that is. And they'll come to you with something. Mm. And based on your reaction, that will tell them, can I trust you? Should I ever come back to you? That's very true. Yeah. And that showed you not to. Oh, that showed me. Not to, oh, right? That made me more go into my shell mm. and learn how to figure it out on my own. Um, and I tried many times. I would look for my passport and I'm going to run away. And, you know, I would be, I remember one incident, I decided, yes, this is it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave. And I'm walking out of the schoolyard and I look down the street and there's this car. Mm -hmm. And then I'm realizing, okay, mm -hmm. anywhere I go, he's there. 
that's almost living in a somewhat of a prison exactly. for so many for six years exactly like. yeah that's 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 what it was that's what it felt like and so I had to teach myself coping skills um, what I started to do is just detach myself from reality mm -hmm. you know I just went into a shell so whenever the incidents were happening I would block it out mm, yeah right totally block it out mm -hmm. like nothing was happening um, I wore a smile at all times and just went about life like life was great yeah. because that was my survival. That was how I needed to, what I needed to do to survive. Exactly. And that's not uncommon at all. The not uncommon. The coping. Exactly. Because what, what else? You have no choice at that that's point, it. right? That's it. Yes. So you did what you had to do. You do what you have to do until something else works, exactly. right? Um, and, and so I did that for many years before getting out. I had to do that. Um, I had to learn how to rely on myself and myself alone. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it brought me to a place of not trusting people, yeah. right? And so for the longest time, I didn't trust people. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't take people at their word. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't believe, you know, in what people said. I watched your, your actions mm -hmm. and I went by that and that alone. No, he had what he did and what most abusers do is isolate. Mm -hmm. They're very good at isolate. So we were, we grew up very isolated, myself and my sisters. We were isolated from people. And as much as we had family that we visited on special occasions, he's going to be there. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're, <laughs> wherever okay. you go, he's there. Yeah, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance, mm -hmm. right? And so... Um, I wasn't able to communicate with my mom for a long time and there was one, I remember one year that he brought me there and I thought, oh yes, this is going to be good. He brought you to the States? He brought oh, me to okay. the States to see her mm -hmm. um, and while we were there we spent, we were supposed to stay a weekend, we spent one day, one night and oh. we got there and again, he's always around, mm -hmm. he's not leaving you alone. And, something happened and he got upset and he says we're leaving and there was nothing my mom could do mm -hmm. we're leaving one night right and that was it one night after one. so long yeah and i never saw her again until i finally got to get away yeah. so what happened when you got away from the um, situation? like how did that come about so once the once the guidance counselor at the school found out they had to call the police right yeah um, and so they called the police. The police came in. Um, immediately, they took me out of the home. So I had to go and stay at a shelter. Okay. Um, and he was investigated. Uh, there was a trial. There was a court hearing. Um, during this time, I only stayed at a shelter for, I believe, a week. Mm -hmm. And then it was a matter of connecting with my mom. They figured out a way to connect with my mom. Okay. And I went to live in the States. Okay. So I lived in the States from then on for about five years. Um, while the trial was going on, I would fly from the States and come back. Mm -hmm. um, and that was mainly for my protection, that they wanted me okay. out of the country. Mm -hmm. um, because he's also the person that would look for me to try to silent me. Wow. Yes. Um, and so, and so even doing this, yes, that <laughs> came to my mind when you said that. Yeah, even doing this, um, I'm fully aware mm -hmm. of the risk. Yeah, with that, um, and so you know, we went through the trial, and um, it was a lengthy, lengthy process. I must say, 
um, trials are not meant for victims. No. And um, we, I'm hoping that one day that will change. And um, I had to testify with him in the room a um, couple days straight. We did a pre-trial and after the pre-trial they added about eight to ten charges to what they were originally charging with. And then we had to come back again for a trial hearing. Mm -hmm. And at the trial hearing, I think something happened with, within myself that I, I was like, no, I'm not going to allow you to victimize me anymore. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, with that mindset, I decided to be silent. Oh, so you didn't, you I, didn't move forward with it? I, well, every question they asked me, I said, I don't remember. Okay. That was my way of just shutting down. Because we're not going to relive this again. <laughs> You're gonna that must have been so traumatic, like it. over and over oh, and over. And right. I'm sure they're doing it in a way that is not sympathetic or empathetic to you. That's it's it. more trying to, are you telling the truth? That's it. That's it. And, and so I was like, oh, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, and so he got off. Mm -hmm. um, and he's walking about living life, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I had to learn to pick up my pieces and live my life. Wow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, wow, so. thank you so much for sharing this because this is so important. I feel like, as you said, you know the risks of speaking about this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I know, even personally, many women in the same situation where the abuser is still roaming free it. and it's a big risk to even say yes. anything because they're they're just out there, right? And um, they'll know, they'll right? know that you talked about it. But at the same time, it's so important because other women are going through the same exact thing right now. That's it. The yes. same exact thing. And I believe there's power in your voice. Um, I've come to the realization that um, we are more powerful when we speak. Yeah. And there's more of us than there is of them. There's one in four women that are molested by the age, or raped by the age of 18. Mm -hmm. yep. um, within the circle of your friends, there's at least one woman that's been raped or molested. Mm -hmm. And half the time, people don't speak up. Exactly. Right? So one in four is only the stats that's on the books. If you think about the people that are not speaking out, mm -hmm. those stats are greater. Oh, definitely. Right? And definitely. so when you hear those stats, for me, I'm, I'm like, that's an epidemic. It is. That's like, as much we give volume to cancer and to AIDS and those things are important. Um, we need to give a voice to sexual abuse um, because there's people that are living their lives right now that are either in it or have been with it and they're not healed. Yeah. And they can't pick up those pieces. They don't feel empowered mm. and they feel like they're alone. Although they're not. They're not. It, they're not. They're not at all. At all. It's the complete opposite. That's it. That's it. Right? And so an abuser way of um, getting power over you is to silence you. Yeah. And so we live with that. And so we, we dumb ourselves. And until we get our voice back, we won't get our freedom back. Yeah. yeah. Amen. That's so true. And how did you, like after such a trying period, so... The six years, then the trial, and that traumatic mm -hmm. experience. How did you pick up the pieces? How did you move forward in your life? For me, that came with my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. um, for many years, I tried to do it on my own. And it was through my relationship and my walk with God 
that I learned first how to forgive. Mm -hmm. um, and once I totally embraced that and, and forgave him and recognized that he really does not have power over me anymore, yeah. right? Um, and that if I chose not to forgive him, he would continue to have power over me. And that's not easy. Yeah, it's not. That is oh, so not easy. I remember the first time when I, I was like, I've forgiven him. I'm free. And, and I, I went to his house because I wanted to let him know I'd forgiven him. Mm -hmm. And um, I told him, I said, I forgive you. And he says, oh, you should. You're a Christian now. And the things that came in my mind, I realized, oh, you have not forgiven this man. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because what came over me was not of someone that had forgiven. And so I, I left realizing that there was more work to be done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? But that I, was like almost a step that towards was a step. forgiveness. Exactly. Sometimes it's not a full, what I've realized in life That's it. is that it's sometimes not a full thing right away. That's it's it. a step towards That's forgiveness it. until there's healing. That's it. That's it. And and there's no magic pill. No. Right? You have to walk it through. And it's painful, but it's necessary if you want to gain control back of your life. Exactly. Yeah. What are some practical things you did? So your relationship with God, was there anything specific you did? I did go to a counselor mm -hmm. and I did not do that for long, but I recognized that that wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say that counseling is not good. I think counseling mm -hmm. is needed. But I also believe that you can't do that on its own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? I believe that you do need to believe in a higher power and believe that someone is watching out for you and that there is someone that is in control. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and so for me, that was finding my, my savior. Mm -hmm. And know? how did that happen? Um, well, before I came to Canada, just to go back, I, I used to go to church all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew God. I, I, you know, I wasn't a Christian. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that relationship, but I knew him. Mm -hmm. um, and when I came here, um, you know, I had a friend that would always invite me to church. And I was like, I'm not going to church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I shunned church, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to church. And it took years and years of probing. And I decided one day, okay, I'm going to try it out. And... It wasn't planned. I just, you know, I found peace there. You know, that's where I found peace. That's where I found joy again. That's where I found hope, you know. Um, and that's where I learned who I was, you know, outside of the abuse, outside of everything bad that happened to me. Yeah. I, I found out who Karen was. And I found out that I was stronger than I had given myself credit for, you know, and that I was able to go through this and still stand, Amen. right? Um, and that, that that if I'm able to encourage one person and help them to stand and to live, yeah. And there's so many, as we said, so many women dealing with the same thing. Do you have any words of encouragement that you could give them? For sure. Um, one thing I would say is um, speak. And that might seem minimal to some, but I think when you speak your truth, when you speak of those inner secrets, mm -hmm. it takes away the shame. Yeah. And once the shame goes away, because a lot of people don't speak because of the shame, mm -hmm. because of the stigma that's attached. Um, and so I believe if you could just tell a friend, 
and you know tell someone just speak it right and i think when we start to speak it we will see a light it's empowering it's empowering it's empowering yeah and things fester in the dark right and satan's such a liar and will bring that shame on you when it doesn't belong to you at all yeah and the mind is so powerful we believe things that are not even there right and so when we're by ourselves, the enemy will tell us all kind of lies and when we keep those things to ourselves, it makes us feel like it's your fault Mm -hmm. no one's going to believe you um, oh, look at the way they look at you now. Imagine if you tell them this. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you do to make this happen? Right? And then you start talking and you start realizing, oh, I'm not at fault. Mm-hmm. There is no shame in this. I'm not alone. Yes. I can do this. Yeah. Isolation is such, is such a lie. It's such a lie. It's such a lie. The enemy uses isolation so many times. Yes. So we think we're alone. That's it. We think we're the only one going through. And it's so it's not true. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And you are Thank a you brave, wonderful, beautiful woman. Thank you. And I know this will touch many, many lives. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, share it with someone who would benefit from the message. Also, remember to subscribe so you can get this podcast goodness downloaded automatically. And check out our website at imstillstandingseries.com if you want to just shoot me an email or if you want to apply to be a featured guest on our show. And remember, where there is life, there is hope. Standing for so long, I forget I stand Standing tall